So th- this morning we have, at least for me, um, uh, a little unusual type of a message. It's an introductory message for a short series which Pastor Jim and I will both share in over the next several Sundays, and it's about our church's vision and to a lesser extent our mission. And the vision of uh, Why Bible Church is captured in the bullet point title of today's message, if you've had a chance to look at it, but it's Honor, Grow, Serve, Share. And those four words summarize the direction that we, and I mean by we, the pastors, elders, and deacons, believe the Lord is leading us. If I were doing one of my Bible stories with the kids down at Little Lamb Preschool, or if I were teaching cubbies uh, Wednesday night at Awana, I would have you repeat those words right now, honor, grow, serve, share. Now, I'm not going to do that with you, um, but most of you, just having heard those words a couple of times now and seeing it in the bulletin, if asked, even right now, would be able to tell someone what why Bible Church's vision statement is, even if you don't fully understand it yet. And that's the point, isn't it? It's simple, it's direct, and it's easy to remember. Honor, grow, serve, share. A little further, fuller version, which brings out its meaning a little more fully to us, is honor God, grow in your faith, serve others, and share the word. And you'll begin seeing these words in a lot of our material uh, and in the things we use to communicate to other people. And over the next four Sundays, Jim and I will take turns talking about each of those items. Now, I think it could be very helpful to give you kind of a brief story of how all of this came about. And those of you who have been here for a while know that when I became the pastor here, I really came here with no agenda. I I said that we would discover um, God's direction together. And I believed then, and I still do now, that Jesus Christ is the head of this church. It belongs to him, and he's the builder of it. And our job is to follow him. Uh, Rather than me coming here with... uh, my own ideas of the kinds of things that we should do, I knew the right thing was to trust God who would reveal his purposes to us. So when I first became a pastor uh, here at this church, there were doors from the past which needed to close that God in his good time uh, would close, and he did close them. And there were bonds that needed to grow stronger, and our outlook needed to change from seeing what was simply right immediately surrounding us and to learning to look a little bit further into the future. And there were several serious matters which God had to lead our church through, which although had potential to hurt us, God in his good grace used to strengthen us. And I myself was still dealing with a business that I had started before becoming your pastor. And then about time came, and it was about two years ago now, and I felt as though God were saying to me that, yes, he 
did indeed want the elders and the deacons together with the pastors to develop a vision and mission statement for this church and to do so for the good of this church and that he would guide us in that process but it was my responsibility as the pastor to begin that process so I began praying about it and with a growing conviction that God uh, was what really God wanted me to do and shortly after that Bob Knight uh, began to encourage me in that direction and Bob a really good guy and he's a committed follower of Jesus Christ many of you know him and know what he's like and and he can be really an intense person and sometimes he would almost wear me out with his intensity when we get together and talk about this kind of a thing but I really loved it and um and, and in a sense the die was cast and I knew that we had to move in that direction so I spent several months and I wrote out a complete vision and mission statement and uh, as a starting point for our discussion. And I printed it for the leadership of the church and um, wanted them to read it and to consider it. And then back at the beginning of May, we met together for what uh, we called an in-house retreat where we threw out everything that I had written and adopted a completely different vision. The one we have now, the honor grow, serve, and share. Though we did keep the mission statement uh, with some modifications. And the truth is, it really was the right thing to do. Uh, I believe that God guided us to what we have now. What I had written simply was inadequate. It was, uh, it was simply too broad, and you had to explain it in, in order to understand it. And it's pretty simple to understand these four words. And then there was another meeting, and the elders and the deacons came together with the pastors to talk about how we would move forward and we, how we'd implement what we believe God had laid on our hearts, which brings us to this point in time. Now, now we're going to come to the biblical underpinning of all of this in a little while because as a Bible-believing church, we know that we have no warrant for any action unless it's founded in the Scripture. But I want to make sure that we all know what we mean when we talk about a vision and mission statement. So I want to give you a really quick definition and distinction between the two terms, right? Vision is where we want to go, and the mission statement is how we want to get there. The vision says, this is what we want to look like, and the mission says, these are the steps we need to take so that we can look like that. Now, I know if you're anything like me, you might think that those things, a vision statement and a mission statement, would be kind of universal. And they really ought to be based on biblical principles which are universal. But, you know, every church is different, and its situation is unique, and each one of them requires a different focus. So as an example, you can imagine a church in Iraq today, right? The people in Iraq, the churches in Iraq are facing an intense persecution. And they have different concerns and, than we do. And they're going to express their faith in different ways. Then say a church, uh, oh, how about in South America's jungle, which has its own concerns and struggles, which will be different still than a church in New York City, which will yet be different than one on the eastern shore. Just as God didn't make people using a cookie cutter, 
So it is with each church. Everyone is different and unique. And the whole point of the vision of Jesus in the midst of the lampstands in Revelation, you might remember when we talked about that, I guess over a year ago now, I think, is that the churches were to shine their light on Christ to reveal him to the world around them. And it took all of the seven churches to do that, and each one of them was different. So just what are the biblical underpinnings of the vision and mission statement? Now, some people would, um, well, they would simply point to the Great Commission, right, to Matthew chapter 28, where it say, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them everything that I've, uh, I've taught you, right? And, and, and amongst those people, you would find some who would kind of emphasize the preaching of the gospel and, and, and the church, they would think, would be a preaching station to win the lost. Get them in the door so you can get them into heaven. And then other people who would look at that verse, they, they would maybe emphasize the discipleship so that we could be more effective Christians as we live out our lives. And yet all of that's important. And then some people would look at John thirteen thirty five, one of my just most favorite verses in the world, a new commandment I give you. Let you love one another as I have loved you. And what does it say then? And then people will know that you're my disciples. And that seems to me to be vitally important too. And then other people would point to the importance of walking by faith or, or keeping in step with the Spirit. And who would deny that we should do things like that too? You see, all of those things and many others besides, they're all things that every church and every Christian ought to do. But they're not quite what we mean by a vision, though they do come closer to what we might mean when we're talking about a mission statement. And then, if you were to turn into the New Testament to try to find a vision statement there, you would discover examples, well, many of them that you might turn to, you could dismiss them because they seem to be addressing a particular problem in a particular church. Or, in the case of the pastoral epistles, the vision there seems to be more specific to the elders and the deacons. Yet there are two churches in the New Testament for which we can be absolutely certain that they were doing exactly what they should have been doing. And it wasn't merely that uh, a problem was being addressed. And we have Jesus' word on that. And both of those churches are found in the book of the Revelation. And we're going to look briefly at each of them now. now the first one is uh, that we'll look at is the church in Smyrna, and that's found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And when you read this passage, you discover that Jesus makes no corrective comments on this church at all. So in verses 8 and 9, we read, To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. You know, there's not a single word of condemnation there. Jesus knew them inside and out, and he calls them rich, meaning they enjoyed a spiritual abundance. And then he gives them what amounts to a vision in 
the beginning of verse 10. First, he tells them uh, what's going to happen next. Don't be afraid of what is, you're about to suffer. I tell you that the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. And then the vision is this. Be, care, be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victory's crown. You see, because of their situation, the persecution that they were undergoing, they were instructed not to be afraid, to remain faithful even to the point of death. You see, that's what they were to be about. They could say with a certainty that Jesus, that's what Jesus wants them to do as a church. Don't be afraid and remain faithful even if I have to die to do so. Now, certainly this vision could change. I mean, right? I mean, they could, um, they could become fearful. And then they would need to repent. And who knows what kinds of changes might come after that. Or the persecution could end. And actually, eventually it did. Years later it did. But as things stood, this was God's word to that church at that time. And in a sense, it is to everyone else also. You know how it goes in those uh, passages in Revelation about the churches. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the one who's victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. You see, we could find ourselves, we could find ourselves in a similar situation and say that's our goal. Or we might get to a place where we'd have to say we need to include that in our own version of it, like a, a church in Iraq today might have to do that. The other church is, is similar to the one in Smyrna. It's the church of Philadelphia, and it's found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And again, Jesus makes no corrective comments on this church either. Verses 7 and following, we read this. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And so Jesus has nothing but praise for this church. And he tells them he's going to open a door for them. And I think what an encouraging thing that is to think that he had opened a door for them, that he had given them as a church something that they were going to do, that they should do, and no one could stop them at it. And then in verses 9 and 10, Jesus tells them some things that are going to happen later on. And then in verse 11, Jesus gives them their vision statement. I'm coming soon, he says, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. You see, the church in Philadelphia could tell you that very clearly they knew that they were to hold on to what they had. They were to continue to do good, which is what they had been doing. They, they had to continue to keep his word as they had done and not deny his name, which they hadn't done up to that point. Like the church in Smyrna, they would be tested. But God would keep them through that time of testing. And apparently the churches faced a, a different kind of hostility than one another did. You know, those two examples there, I think, are the, the clearest examples of a vision statement in the New Testament that can't merely be dismissed as, 
as addressing some problem in the church. And, and each one of them is specific to the situation the church was in, naturally, because that's what it's about. But each one was clear and succinct statement of purpose saying where as a church they were headed. And the pastors, the elders, and the deacons believe God has given us that kind of a direction as a church. And we can sum it up in those four simple words, honor, grow, serve, share. Remembering what we mean then by them, honor God, grow in our faith, serve others, and share the word. You know, our mission is a little more complex. It, it asks the question, how do we fulfill that? And the truth of the matter is the answer will unfold in the coming years, but I can tell you we are already doing some things to fulfill it. We have uh, life groups. We have Little Lamb Preschool. touches the hearts and lives of so many people in our community, both in and out of the church. Awana, same thing, people inside and outside of the church. The young people's lives that it touches. VBS in the summertime, that one-week program, is just a fabulous way to reach people for the kingdom. And our youth group, our edition that we just finished uh, is one of those things also which helps us uh, fulfill our vision, allowing us to do more in the way of ministry. And, and we've identified um, one area anyway uh, that needs a, kind of a, uh, an immediate attention. We need to revitalize our Sunday school here, which means, um, among other things, uh, training teachers, finding a curriculum, expanding our nursery service so that young people with young children can still come to Sunday school. You see, we're trusting God to continue leading us as we move forward. I want to make uh, three more kind of broad comments uh, about all of this before we go to the Lord's table. And the first one is, is as we move through time, uh, and I don't mean just week by week, but I mean uh, on a longer scale of time, we can find ourselves in a place where we need to make changes to our vision statement. And that can happen for any number of different reasons. Um, first, the culture around the church can change. Um, for example, neighborhoods uh, can change. My cousin Steve's church, uh, I mean, Steve's been there for 30 years now, over 30 same pastor, same church for that long period of time. And, and, and for 30 years, and when he was there earlier, it was a white middle class neighborhood, and today it's mostly poor and immigrant. And you know, they can still reach many of the same people who originally made up the church because, because of our, our society is so mobile. But almost certainly, their vision statement needs to change to reflect the new reality that they're facing. And then, too, the larger culture changes. The things we face and deal with are, are vastly different than even 30 years ago. You know, a vision statement of a church in our country from that time simply would not fit in our day-to-day. -day. I, I mean, just think about the differences there are in schools. I mean, you're remember, if, I mean, you may remember if you're like me, uh, or older, and, and certainly you 
read about you. You remember there was a time when the biggest problems in our schools were chewing gum and talking. When I was in high school, you know, we, we were sneaking smokes in the bathroom. And then after I graduated, I heard that they had a smoking lounge for the students. They stopped fighting that battle altogether. But pretty soon they had to close that because they were smoking pot and doing drugs. And now in schools, the drugs and the alcohol used on buses and at schools is, is rampant, along with gross parental neglect of their own children and a serious lack of respect for teachers or any authority and even physical assault on any teacher. A church that's unaware of those changes would be ineffective in reaching people for Christ. And then the dynamic within the congregation can change. Now I have to say, maybe it was, I, I don't know for sure, seven, eight, ten years ago, there was a couple in this church, a faithful couple, not upset with the church at all, but they told the leadership that they had to leave and go to another church because there wasn't anything here for their children. And look at what the Lord has done today. Do you see those kids that went out of here? It's like that on Wednesday night. And during the week at Little Lamb, all of those children coming, and, and this church is touching their lives. A youth group of 30 or more kids on Wednesday night, Pastor Jim leads. Now, the things can change in requiring us to make corrections in our vision. Now, I want you to understand something. The church itself could be one of the agents of change in a society to bring about the necessity of changing their own vision. Years ago, um, before Ann and I moved out to the Midwest, uh, uh, she and I and our two boys, we lived in a little house in New Jersey across the street from the only house that we have ever owned, and we never lived in it for even one day. It was a house that was in, in just great need of complete renovation, and before we finished it, we got a call to our first church. And I hired a guy to work for me back then, and his name was Carl Washington. And Carl was black, and he had spent a number of years in prison on several different occasions. But over time, we became really close. And, um, and most days, we would eat lunch at our house with Ann and Earl and Bo, and, and they were just really little guys at the time. And then one day, Carl, knowing I was a believer, knowing I was looking for a church, the pastor told me a story about the area he grew up in and where he still lived. It was called back then uh, the Cabbage Patch. It was a black neighborhood with a really bad reputation, and even the police would not venture in there at night. In the center of the Cabbage Patch was a bar and a pool hall, and at each end of that area was a black gang uh, that were rivals. And everyone met in that pool hall, and more times than not, there was trouble. Living in that cabbage patch was a man, and for the life of me, I can't remember his name, so we're just going to call him George. So George is what you might call a serious person. He was big, and he was strong, and he was mean, and he liked to fight, and he was good at it. And no one anywhere with any sense ever messed with George. And then something happened. It turned George's world upside down and was about to do the same to that cabbage patch. 
George, through the prayers of his grandmother, became a Christian. He put down the fists and the boots, and he picked up a Bible. And he was a thoroughly changed man. Carl told me there were many times when he saw a group of men belittling George and making fun of him once they discovered that he would no longer fight. Carl told me if he'd ever put the Bible down, he'd have beat the whole group of them until they couldn't stand anymore. But he never did. Instead, he shared Christ with anyone who would listen. And then one, and then another, came to faith. And soon George started a church. And this was their vision. This is what God wanted them to do. They were going to take that pool hall and that bar at the center of town. And that was going to be their church. And that was their vision. And that is just what God did. And that war zone, as Christ's kingdom advanced, became a different neighborhood. And that old cabbage patch was gone, never to come again. And that's quite a story. And it's a true story, and I believe Carl, as he told me that story, it's a true story about faith and about the power of God. But, but you know, at that point, George and his church had to find another vision. See, God had fulfilled the first one. Now they had to figure out how to help kids to stay off drugs because those were still readily available, and how to do well in school, and how to help men learn how to work, and, and how to be fathers, and lead their families, and women to value themselves as the creatures God made them to be, and how to raise children, especially when there are no fathers in the home. But you know that same God who led them to conquer that pool hall and turn it into a church was still the same God who would be with them and would lead him in his way. And you do know, don't you, that God can use us too in, in a powerful ways which we can't even yet begin to imagine. But it all starts where there's a vision and there's faith in the living God. And when the church remains aware of its vision statement, that's when it's not just an exercise so that we can say we have one. Then we begin to make changes as we need to as time goes on. And that's the second thing I want to mention. You know, as the pastors and elders at deacons were going through this process, someone happened to mention that we already had a vision statement. But no one could tell me what it was. I knew I'd seen it, but I couldn't tell you what it was today. I simply don't remember. But a vision statement, which nobody knows, is the same thing as having no vision statement at all. And even if it were an effective tool when it was first created, we're not the same church we were then. It was time for something new. You know, we don't want this to be a mere exercise. We don't want this to be just something so we can say we have a vision statement. We want to take it to heart so that it affects the way we live. And that's really the last thing that I want to note. 
You know, there really is a difference between you who are a Christian and the unbeliever. And we see it, we experience it sometimes, feeling like we're on the outside when we're surrounded by unbelievers, and at other times just glad <laughs> that we are on the inside of something quite unique and wonderful. And we can look back at our life and we can see what we were like before we put our faith in Christ. And we can see things that God has done in us already, even while acknowledging we have a long way to go yet. There's a big difference, all right, between the believer and the unbeliever. But there's also a difference between believer and believer. You know, some seem to have a purpose to their lives. They're going somewhere and they know it. Others just seem to be treading water. They're believers well enough, and seemingly they just haven't heard their marching orders, or maybe they're ignoring them. But the difference is real. Others can see it. And once you've experienced it, you don't ever want to go back to the way things were before. That really is our prayer. This vision can help you find As you honor, grow, serve, and share. Well, there you have it. It's what we think God is saying to us as a congregation. Honor God, grow in your faith, serve others, and share his word. And so may we make a difference in our world. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and directs you in the way you should go. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we, uh, we really are glad that you are faithful and true. And we know, Lord, that you um, placed Y Bible Church at this exact place and time. And you have put us here for a purpose. We don't know all that you're going to do yet. And we admit readily that we are small people. Each of us individually and together, we're small. But we also believe we have a God that is bigger than all the world and all the universe put together. Who has plans for us. Plans to prosper us. Not to harm us. To give us hope. Plans for this church to change the course of eternity as we simply give ourselves to you. Come to our aid and help us, please. In Jesus' name, we ask it.